So, Father, thank you that you do bring people to our minds to pray for and about and to praise you for, actually. We, I want to praise you for my sisters uh, being able to receive this treatment, Lord, for, um, for you removing the, um, the worry and the anxiety and the fear from me as I consider what might happen. Thank you that you have reminded me so often that you are in control and that you are the sovereign God and that you love her more than I could love her. And, and thank you that that's true for all of us, those of us who know you um, as our Lord and Saviour. Lord, thank you that you do come right into our trouble and walk alongside us and, and speak tr truth to us and wrap us up in your love. And thank you for it, Lord. Um, thank you that we know that we are with you, the living God, at all times and that you do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. Um, I, I want to offer you tonight, Lord, and the teaching and the speaking and the studying and the reading, all of it, Lord, that you might teach us what you would have us know, that you would um, lead us on the correct path, on the path of righteousness, that you wouldn't allow us to go the wrong way with any of the things we talk about, and that you would keep reminding us that, that this is for our uh, benefit, for our joy, for our glory, that you are molding and shaping and transforming us by this word. And thank you that you are Lord God. And we, we praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So could somebody read those verses? Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Preacher of righteousness with seven others, and he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who will live <coughs> ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, not oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men by what he saw and heard that righteous men, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the righteous under punish unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Thank you. Thank you, John. 
So uh, what, what you can know from this absolutely categorically is that counterfeits false teachers are nothing new. They've been going on since the beginning of the church. Actually, they've been going on since the beginning of time. Um, Israel um, were constantly beset by false prophets and um, uh, no surprise really because Satan is, if you like, the archetypal false prophet because he comes with a distorted word of God. He comes with a, um, a slight amount of truth wrapped up in a lot of, or the other way around maybe, lots of error and a tiny thread of truth and um, uh, comes with that deception. And that's what false prophets and false teachers do. Um, uh, he, it says in 2 Corinthians that um, he, his people disguise... Well, sorry, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. No, um, I'll go there and read it. Um, For such men are false, false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So Satan and his workers have been at work since the beginning and are going to continue until the end. He has false Christians. Um, Jesus will talk about, or the disciples will say to Jesus about the tares and the wheat in Matthew 13, and he'll say, leave them there till the end of the age. Um, he, he, Satan's workers preach a false gospel, Galatians 1. Paul will talk about this false gospel, which <laughs> brings forth a false righteousness. Um, uh, and of course, one day he'll present a false Christ to the world, the Antichrist. So... Everything about Satan is fake and it is imitating the truth. And um, the nation of Israel, as I say, they were constantly being led astray by false prophets. And the thing was they had false prophets from outside of Israel, other, na other nations around them. Um, but the most um, destructive prophets, of course, were within the nation of Israel themselves because they said that they were speaking for God. And so they did the most damage because people believed them and were led astray. Jeremiah and Ezekiel, all of the prophets in the, in the scriptures talk about false prophets who do that. Um, why do you think it's easy for false prophets to lead people astray? Why was it easy in Israel's day? Why was it easy for them to um, have people follow them? Why did people follow them? Ignorance, yeah. Why else do you think? That's the big thing. They say things that people want to hear. Um, Jeremiah 6, um, verse 14. Um, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. This idea that, um, A, I think Sue's right, there is a lot of ignorance, there was a lot of ignorance, but also this, this, this speaking what people want to hear and therefore people following them. Um, and also um, because, so, so ignorance, people wanting to hear what they're saying, what else? What sort of things would they have been saying? Yeah, things that were easy to follow, things that made them feel comfortable, things that were popular. So, you know, um, things that lots of people so readily accepted, exactly. Um, so, Peter writes about false teachers in Second Peter. He doesn't write about false prophets. Why do you think that is? Because they're not 
He doesn't mention false prophets. He talks about false teachers. Why do you think that might be? Yeah, could be. But I think for Peter and for all the New Testament writers, they um, understood that, in fact, um, Peter and Paul write about it, that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. They're not expecting other apostles and prophets, capital A, capital P, to show up on the scene. So for um, Peter, the, the cornerstone was Christ, the foundation were the apostles and the prophets. And so from then on, there would only be teachers, there wouldn't be prophets. There'd be people who prophesied, but not prophets, capital P. And so, um, so Peter, I think, doesn't write about false prophets because he, he just thinks that there won't be false prophets, if you see what I mean, they, that it will be teachers that are the ones teaching falsehood. And most believers, I mean, most of us would not listen to someone who stood up and said they were a prophet of the Lord. Most of us would, would hear that like a clanging gong and we would instantly recognize it. But we're all listening to teachers. We're all following teachers. We're all, um, you know, open and uh, able to be deceived by teachers. Um, and there are st lots of teachers in the church. I mean, you know, they're to a penny. They're everywhere. And so, um, and so Satan uses the approach that will succeed, the one that has the best chance of success. Um, so in order to warn us to be aware and alert, Peter uses three things. He talks about three things to do with these false teachers. Um, what are they? How does he go about it? He describes them. Yeah, he talks about no. He describes what they what they're like. So the fact that they use deception, the fact that they deny Christ, the fact that they're they they live by their sensuality and their greed. So he talks about them in that way first of all, and then he's going to start to talk about what they actually teach, um, and he's going to compare them to um, uh, Old Testament. Noah and to Lot, and talk about their destruction, the fact that their destruction is already set. They may not be destroyed yet, but they will be. Um, and he's going to use different examples. So let's just go through it. First of all, for Peter, a false teacher is a false teacher someone who's mistaken or someone who's deliberately misleading. Deliberately misleading. Um, he um, he talks about them returning to their... Um, well, he says, for Peter, definitely. Look at the end of chapter 2. He says, it has happened to them according to the truth proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. So for Peter, the people he's talking about, at least, are definitely deliberately misleading and deceptive. Um, you know, false teachers are professed believers who, who know the truth but deliberately um, change it or add to it or subtract from it. And the reason they do that is what? Yeah, <laughs> I think for Peter, he's talking about greed. And uh, so they're greedy for reputation, they're greedy for money, they're greedy for financial gain. And also because they want to feed their own lusts. They want to feed their own... Um, it's about 
yeah, it's all about them. Um, we'll see it a bit clearer as we go through. Um, he says, look, in verse 3, he says, um, uh, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, their judgment from long ago. And then in verse um, uh, 13 and 14, um, they use deceptive means. Uh, Whereas it's suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having... um, taken the way of Balaam. So to forsake the right way is not like to lose your way. Yeah. Forsaking is to deliberately lay it aside and turn it away. So um, these are not like Apollos. Apollos, you remember Priscilla and Aquila having to teach him the correct way. They're not like someone who just doesn't know everything. They are people who know the truth and deliberately go their own way. So um, Jude will use similar words to describe them. He says that... Um, Uh, Peter says here, they're false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. And Jude, in in his letter, will say um, that um, (coughs) these people... Oh, gosh, sorry. I thought I could remember it. Um, Jude, um, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. So uh, Peter and and Jude use the same language. They're saying they're secretly introducing and these people have crept in unnoticed. And um, to begin with, Peter will talk about them teaching destructive heresies (coughs) with false words. Um, How would that be in our local congregations? How would you (coughs) spot a destructive heresy? doesn't have to be big-time heresy. It can just be, you know, how would you spot or how would you start to notice um, the wrong teaching coming in? Being led the wrong way, you something yeah, yeah. Uncertainty, definitely. There's some sort of uncertainty. Yeah, that's true too. Doesn't agree with what. But but a lot of the time, you know, what the, what false teachers begin to teach is almost identical to the truth, and so it's quite hard to spot. But one of the things that it always does is they always cause division. They're always trying to divide and conquer. That's the way of Satan, is to split people up. So you would notice it in things like uh, after Sunday when you're having coffee and there's a little group of people and, you know, what do you think about what the pastor said today? What do you think? Do you think that was right? Or, or you know, I mean, I don't really think I like what he says, you know. Um, and nothing too big, nothing too major, but that kind of trying to divide and pull apart the body of Christ, um, uh, that is a, a usually a sign of something going wrong. Not necessarily a false teacher in the way Peter's talking about it, but definitely something going wrong. Um, one of the biggest ways that Satan has messed up the church is to divide it. Yeah. To divide it for, on all sorts of levels for all sorts of reasons. He is dividing. So... Um, 
not only was the message false, i.e. I, the destructive heresy, but they used false words to put it across. And that word false means plastic. It comes from the Greek word plastos, and it means plastic. Think about plastic words. What does Peter want us to know? Not real, fake, bendable, movable. Um, somebody this morning said, you know, totally useless, you can't get rid of it. Plastic's yeah. not biodegradable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got it forever. Um, very hard to get rid of. So they're using false plastic words to bring in, introduce a destructive message, a destructive um, teaching. And they give the impression with their plastic words that they are true to the Christian faith, but they are not. Um, so Jude says they crept in unnoticed. Peter says they secretly introduce. They don't throw out the truth immediately. They just start to teach something almost true, but slightly different. So where does that begin? Where do you know that that began? began? Yes, that began in Genesis. Did God really say? Did God really say? So it's the questioning, did God really say that? And then he didn't mean that. When Eve said, he said that in the day that we eat of it, we will surely die. No, no, that can't be true. And then the last part of it is, this is the truth. He knows that when you uh, eat of it, you will be like him. So there's... Yes. Yes, it's questioning all the time. Did God really say that? And no, he, he didn't mean that. He meant, you know, because you won't die. And which was partly true. They didn't die. They didn't die physically. Yeah, but then he, the, the total untruth is he knows that in the day you eat of it, he, you will be like him. So this, this idea that they're using false words to put across. Now, what does that mean to us, though? I mean, really, we're not likely to fall for, well, did God really mean that Jesus died on a cross? You're not likely to fall for that. So what sort of things, what do we need to be careful of, do you think? Plastic words, think of plastic words, like malleable, bendable, shapeable words. Think about um, people say to you, they believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And you could go along for a long time thinking they were believers with you. But now, in our day, we have to actually ascertain, what do you believe about Jesus? Because it's easy to say they believe in Jesus. I believe in God. Yes. What is it you believe about Jesus? Yes. So can you see how easy it is? People talk about salvation or inspiration or divine inspiration or spirituality. And they don't mean what we think they mean. So they've taken words that are essentially Christian and they have made them. They've, they've used their own plastic version of that word and make it mean whatever they think that it, they want it to mean. Um, and people, all the great words of the Christian faith, you know, all the great words that are uh, true of us, like salvation, justification, sanctification, <coughs> glorification, they're changing the meanings of them so that you can't actually know for sure what someone actually means. So they sound like they're speaking the same language, but actually they're meaning something totally different. That's the danger. Mm. False. It's 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 P L A S T O S Greek P uh, yeah and it's P L A 
Plastos. P-L-A-S-T-O-S. And it means plastic. From what well, we get from that word. No, but we get the word plastic from that word. So they didn't have plastic, but 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 we took the word plastic from that Greek word plastos. Um, Is Christ Jesus really God? Yeah. <laughs> well. Yes. 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 So um, Satan is a liar and his ministers are liars. And so, but they're not outwardly. You won't notice it in, in immediately because they'll use our words, and but they'll use them to mean different things. Um, Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at what he says in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So how are they denying Christ? I mean, in, in our day, for example, how would a false teacher deny Christ? Right, right. Yes. Inside the church now, think. Inside the church. How would someone deny Christ inside the church? So they're pretending to be a Christian. They're pre pretending to believe what you believe. But they're deliberately now misleading. They're deliberately introducing heresy. So how might they do that? What might they say about Christ? Or, or anything to do with our faith, actually? He didn't die um, as a blood sacrifice for our sins, but he, as an atonement, that's it, they deny the right, atonement. Right, right. Yeah, they deny the atonement. There's, yeah. That's a big teaching, actually. It was a big teaching well, in the church. But he yes, yeah, he died spiritually, but not physically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Bishop of Durham, about 30 years ago, denied the virgin birth. Ah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So that's it. So it's those nots. It's denying the sin of man, for example. So the sin of man has become shrunk now. We don't talk very much about sin and repentance. We do say it, but what we mean by the sin of man is something usually much different than the Bible means. The Bible teaches that the sin of man is responsible for the corruption of the universe. It's, it, it's responsible for the the destruction and the corruption and the pollution of the um, of of creation. It's in Romans, Paul says, all creation groans, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, and that our sin, man's sin, has impact on the um, planet. Not just our individual sin, which you can you can see quite easily, like we don't look after our waste, but sin itself has been the thing that caused disease, sickness, everything. Now, we don't talk about that very much. And if people do talk about that, that would be kind of, well, really? You know, that's an odd one. So they deny sin. They deny the Bible is the word of God. They deny Christ was truly God. No virgin birth. You know, he was an ordinary man. Um, even now, uh, I've mentioned it a few times, so, so I'm not going to name names anymore, but, you know, people who say that when Christ was here, he was just a man. He wasn't God. All of those things deny Christ. They deny who he is. But the only way to heaven is 
Yeah, all roads lead to Rome, all, all roads lead to heaven. Um, yes, there you go. There is no hell, there is no judgment. That's another one. Yeah, how does that deny Christ? Yes, denies everything he says and what did you say? Why did he come? He didn't need to come if there's no hell. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. So imagine now a church service, doing a, someone doing a funeral in a church, a, a vicar or a pastor or whatever, who's saying that. Then you've got this whole um, heresy being taught under the guise of being kind to the family and, and saying the right thing and, and comforting people. So all of these things are denying Christ. These are the words that Peter's talking about, plastic words, false words. This is what he's talking about. Things that sound Christian but actually aren't and that are denying Christ and are very destructive, very destructive. I mean, you could pick any one of the things we've talked about and, and find what that has led to inside the church and in people's thinking. Um, and... Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think that most people wouldn't say they're a member of the body of Christ because that's a, a phrase that actually um, most churches don't use, body of Christ, but they would say they're a member of the church and the church has now become the vehicle of salvation rather than Christ. So again, that's what's happening. They're stripping Christ of being the only way and now the church is the way. Um, and the church, you know, that teaching that the church is the way either through infant baptism or various other things, is also, you know, we're going to clean the world and Christ will return. We're going to change the world. We'll save the world and then Christ will come back. That's a huge heresy because it's denying, again, denying Christ. Yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a difficult one because I think babies, um, I think there is an age of accountability that you could find in scripture. And so I think that God doesn't hold you accountable for what you don't understand and know. Um, but definitely everybody born is a sinner, born in sin. So yeah. Um, but you see, these things, they start with a drip and a drip and a drip. They don't come in like a full flood. Usually, these false teachers start very slowly, drip, 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 and they, they, they form a following, and then that following kind of, it's the impetus for them to carry on and carry on. And, um, and they start to lose, well, I mean, I think false teachers put, certainly Peter's um, false teachers he's talking about, they are deliberately teaching error. This is not someone who's just been led astray somehow. This is someone who's come in to deliberately disrupt the church. So this is not your average everyday pastor or vicar. This is, you know, these are people who definitely are for their own gain and their own greed and not bothered about denying Christ. They have no faith. And that, as I said, Pete, Peter will talk about them in um, verse 22, returning to their vomit. So a, a sow, a dog returns to its vomit and a sow, whatever it is he says, a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. 
Yes, and also we're very gullible half the time because we're not discerning and we're not discipled. That's the big thing. We're not discipled. The church is just generally is like a, you know, you couldn't wish for a better place if you were a false teacher. Yeah. Exactly. If you say, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. Yeah. They won't have it. No. Mm. And that's that authority. That's they, they, yeah. they use scripture to prove. You know, yeah. You dare not question. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Your elders. Don't get into condemnation because. Mm. Mm. You know, yes, the scripture does say that. You know, we mm. shouldn't rebel. We shouldn't be mm. like Korah, mm. Mm. Miriam, or any, yeah, you know, yeah. rebelled against Moses and God. Uh, and so they they take it on board. Yeah, exactly. Right yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure every one of those people. So people who teach that, for example, I'm not sure that they are the sort of false, the, the sort of teachers that Peter's talking about. Because I'm not sure that's deliberate. I think that starts out of a lack of knowledge themselves and a fear of being found to be wrong. Okay. So I think it's possible that they're not false teachers, although perhaps they are. So do you know what I mean? I don't think yeah. it's necessarily true. Um, but whatever, they're being deceived. If they're not the deceivers, they are being deceived. And I think the church, as I say, is just a, I mean, it's a playing, a playing field for Satan and his workers. Because we're so gullible and so, you know, easily deceived. <laughs> and the reason we're easily deceived is because we're not discipled. Generally, we're not discipled um, in churches. You know, we uh, you know it'd be hard in in a sort of Bible believing church. It would be hard to f to find someone perhaps who never picks up their Bible. They're, people have Bibles. They read their Bible. They they know bit scriptures a little bit, but but they don't understand the full counsel of God. And so it's really easy to use one part of scripture to to teach them something, and and unless you know, unless you can say to yourself, but that that can't be right because of this. In another part of scripture, <coughs> you really are open to deception. Um, so, um, in what sense then were they bought by the Lord? Because Peter says they're false teachers, um, introducing uh, destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. What do you think he means by that then? That's right at the beginning, verse 1. Yes, he died on the cross for them. He bought, actually, the whole human race, didn't he, with his blood. But only those who put their trust in him receive salvation or actually receive the redemption that he made available. So his atoning sacrifice is, was there for everyone, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But only those who receive him um, uh, rec you know, receive that uh, that redemption that's in him. Um, so verse 2, uh, many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. So um, Peter's accusing them of sensuality. Jude says that they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. Why do they deny the truths of the Christian faith? Why do they do that? Yeah. What, why would a false teacher deny the truth 
the some of the truths of the Christian faith. What, what sort of truths, if they are, um, what is it uh, Jude says, turning the grace of God into licentiousness, and Peter says, because who will secretly in introduce destructive heresies, um, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. Why, why are they living a life of sensuality? Why are they doing that? Yeah, they want their own way. It's, it's pleasing to their natural self. Exactly, it's pleasing to their natural self. So actually it should be a huge red flag to say these people cannot know the spirit because they think that it's okay to live this way. Um, and what he's saying is many people will follow that and the way of truth will be maligned. Um, so what does he mean by the way of truth will be maligned? No, but the way of truth is maligned in that because Christ is the way of truth and his way is a holy way and a righteous way. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it is the way it is to say. And the thing is, this is inside the church. This is the problem. It doesn't matter much what the world does because the world will always do what it's going to do. But it's what the church does that matters. And that's what Peter's talking about. The way of truth will be maligned. So the church will be, or the church of Jesus Christ will be maligned. And um, holiness will be trampled. His name will be trampled underfoot. Um, and... Yes, right. continually dishonoured. Yes. 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 Well, you know where they're going. Um, so these people, they want to satisfy their own lust. That's what um, Jude said, turning the grace of God into licentiousness. Peter saying sensuality. They want to satisfy their own human desires and they want to do it under the cloak of religion. So... So they're in the church deliberately to mislead and to deceive and um, because that is Satan's way of stripping the church of its power. You see, he can't destroy the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades cannot overwhelm it or overpower it. He cannot destroy it, but he can strip it of its power and he certainly can take the joy and he can certainly take our witness from us. So if we live like the world and say that's okay, there's no difference between the church and the world. And... Um, the false prophets in the Old Testament were exactly the same. Jeremiah talks about it in Jeremiah 23. They were guilty of the same sins. They wanted to satisfy their own fleshly desires. And these false teachers are very successful. That's the thing. They're very successful. And we've already said why. Why are they successful? Because they say what we want to hear. They say what we want to hear. Yes, they do. Yeah, mm. flattery, all sorts of things. Mm. 
Yes, mm-hmm. very popular. Usually they're very charismatic. Yeah. They um, say the right things, they look the right way, they, they have instant appeal with people, and they, they can actually claim lots of conversions. Lots of people seem to come to the Lord through them. And so, so from, the, from the outside looking in, you could think that this was good, that God was blessing. Um, and so... What are we to learn from that then? From these plastic words, people, you know, bringing in destructive heresies, what are we to learn from that? It's not the outward, it's the inward. Yeah, it's not the outward and it's not the inward. You can't judge by the number of people that follow. Mm. You can't. Jesus himself said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many will take that way. And so, um, and many will be true, claim to be true servants of Christ. Matthew 7, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I in your name do this and do this and do this? And I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So there's, we can't judge a book by its cover. We have to look at the teaching and we have to be discerning. And the only way to be discerning is if we know the truth. Yeah, we know the truth. Exactly. You can see what the fruit is. If the fruit is sensuality and um, denying Christ and all of that, you know that there's something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It just shows you how important it is to actually get good teaching and trust teaching, you know, trust in teaching. And when, and a responsibility for us. Who, who are searching for it, to actually take people under our wings. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's really important. People love our fellow mm. Mm. Yeah, believers, we have to do that. To, yeah. Even if, even if it, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, and even if it's inconvenient, and if, yeah. even if it takes a lot of time, and even if you could just wring their neck sometimes because they don't <laughs> seem to get it, you know... These, yeah, because we have to do that. Someone did that for me. If they hadn't done that for me, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't, yeah. We have to be discipled. And it doesn't stop. You have to continue to be discipled. Um, you, 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 know, you do get to a place where you are understanding and the Lord is teaching you as you're going. But, but nonetheless, fellowship, one with another, is a way of discipling, isn't it? We are iron sharpening iron. We're, we're coming together. You're saying something to me. I'm saying something to you. And we're together um, growing in what we know. Um, what happened? Absolutely. Yeah, you can't do it on your own. Yes. Someone. Yes. Yes. Someone actually said that this morning that she's been reading her Bible and, and the Lord speaks to her and it's amazing and it's so <coughs> wonderful that she knows she's, you know, she's getting to know what God wants and he's telling her things. And I said, yeah, and I hope you're sharing what you're learning from God. Because if you're not sharing that, how do you know that it is from God? Yeah. And that it's not from, it's not an error that you haven't followed your own inclination or heard a voice from your own head, you know, and yeah, and I'm not trying to. I mean, of course, God speaks through His Word, so it's of course He does. But in order to make sure, you want to be together, don't you, and sharing, you know, you want to. Yes, uh, I think it's in, in many councillors there is victory, is it? Many councillors? Yes. Yes, definitely. I think it's Proverbs, actually, Anne. But, um, yeah. Mm. 
No, definitely not. Because I was the cup bearer in the open the book. Oh, right. Just very briefly. I'm just taking very briefly. And this morning, when I was looking at the story, I was thinking, well, Mrs. May has just come out of Egypt. And I believe she's come out with a cup. Oh, right. Mm. I believe she's coming out with good news, so I proclaim mm. this was true. Mm. And it may well not be. Yeah. But actually, I don't mind too much. <laughs> I thought God was speaking to me, and I just thought, He wants that. <laughs> okay, Carol, I can't go down that road. No, you might be right, but talking about Mrs. May and Brexit and all of that, that's such a complicated thing, you know, and um, whilst I want us to be out, no deal, I'm happy with no deal, I also know that that may not be God's will. I think it is, but it may not be, because we may be now about to reap what we've sown for many years. So I, I don't, that's what all I mean, Carol. Go ahead, Dave. Day, day, day. Yeah, I was absolutely convinced that she was right. Impossible to discuss any Bible. With. Right. Um, has just discovered she's got a religious spirit. She's yeah. been delivered of this religious spirit, mm. and she's now free. And I tell you, yeah, will be such wonderful. Day. Yeah, wonderful. She's seventy. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's, it's really tricky because, you know, I mean, it is, but that's why we need each other. That's why we need each other. We need each other to keep us straight <laughs> and to keep us walking in the right. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, Thank you. People, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. How interesting because another translation is there is safety in many counselors. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so to, um, to those who follow false teachers, this is the reality. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. That's Titus chapter 1, verse 16. So they bring disgrace to the name of Christ. So um, people who follow false teachers may or may not be saved, but they are bringing disgrace to the name of Christ. Um, false teachers are, are greedy, Peter says. If you go back to Second Peter, they're greedy for gain. They want, um, and, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. They're greedy for all sorts of things, money, fame, reputation, all of those things. Um, and we see them, we see them. You can see them easily on the TV and all over the place. Um, um, okay, so what's going to happen to those false teachers, according to Peter? Um, verses 3 to 6 and verse 9 of Second Peter. Their judgment is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And then in verse 9... Um, 
He says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So there is a a judgment coming and Peter saw no hope for these false teachers. This was, as far as he was concerned, a false teacher was deliberately teaching error, deliberately teaching heresy and um, there was no hope for them. and as I said before, he said they've forsaken the right way. Second Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 15, they, they have forsaken the right way, not just lost their way. They've actually literally laid it aside. And he uses, yeah, he uses uh, three examples to prove this. Same examples Jude uses. So what examples does he use? As you go on, verse 4. Noah, yeah. Before that, just before that, he uses the fallen angels. For if God did not spare angels when they (laughs) sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So he's talking first about angels, fallen angels. Um, What do we know about fallen angels? And how do we know it? Satan is a fallen (laughs) fallen angel. Yeah, yeah. Where can you read about Satan falling? Uh, Isaiah. Isaiah and Ezekiel, yeah, Isaiah, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And there's not a lot about him. There's not a lot about him falling. Why is that? Why is there not a lot about Satan in Scripture? And why is there not a lot about angels and the creation and the falling of them? Why not? Yes, yes, yeah. No, that's it. But also, what is the Bible actually, and who's it written to, and who's it written about? Well, the Bible is a book of, for God's people, it, and it's written by God to tell the world about Him and to tell the world about humanity. It's actually not too bothered with anything else but humanity. So, yes, there are details about fallen angels and angels. There are things about them, but there's not a lot of information about them. Yeah, they get a mention, but they don't get huge chapters about them. So, um, so it's, it's really difficult to understand about these fallen angels who were reserved, um, what does he say, uh, who were cast into hell, he says, and committed them to pits of darkness. It's quite difficult to think of who are these fallen angels. So, um, but Peter says they're in, where are they? They're in pits of darkness and um, in hell. The word used for hell there is not a word that is otherwise translated hell. It is Tartarus, and it actually means the underworld. Yeah, it's a Greek word, Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S, and it means the underworld. It doesn't mean Sheol or Hades or even hell. It's a specific place um, reserved for angels who sinned. That's the Greek word. Now, that's really interesting, don't you think? Because once you say hell here, once it's translated hell, it gives a completely different connotation. What? When you read the word hell in the New Testament, it's almost always not what we understand about hell. Hell in the New Testament is very often Hades or Tartarus or the underworld or some other word word for the underworld or for darkness. Hell, as we understand hell, is what Revelation will call the lake of fire. The lake of fire. So... 
think about this. When, um, where's Satan now? Let's start from the beginning. Where is Satan now? He's roaming around, seeing, He's roaming around, <laughs> seeing like a roaring lion, who, seeing who he can devour. Where else is he? He's in the heavenly, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities in the, in the heavenly places. So Satan is allowed into heavenly places, and he is also roaming around on the earth. So when he's in heavenly places, what's he doing? Well, well, what's he doing? What is he able to do in heavenly places? He accuses the brethren day and night. So he has, has access, at least, to be able to accuse the brethren day and night. From, well, in the heavenly places, wherever. I don't know if there's any distinction, and maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is, but obviously Satan can come into the presence of God. In Job, it says there was a day when all the sons of God came to present themselves to God and Satan came amongst them. So, so Job, um, Satan is able to access God at the moment. And he is accusing the brethren day and night. And he has his fallen angels, whether they can access God or not, I don't know. But, but um, he has fallen angels that follow him. Revelation 12 seems to suggest that a third of the angels that were created followed him. I don't know if that's true or not. But um, that perhaps one third of the angels. Revelation 12 verse 4 says that his tail swept away a third of the angels in heaven. Uh, the dragon's tail, um, Satan's tail. So what Second Peter tells us is that some of those angels that follow Satan were in a particular place at a particular time and actually God confined them, judged them and confined them to Tartarus, hell, um, committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So there's a judgment coming that they haven't yet received, but they're in a holding place, if you like. Um, um, and so it's difficult for us because we haven't got all the information that we perhaps would like to have. But what's Peter's message in that short sentence? What's he trying to tell them and tell us? Judgment is sure. Judgment is sure. It's sure. Yeah, if you rebel against God in any way, shape or form, judgment is sure. And, um, and so you have to go back to Genesis to look at some angels or to see a passage which could possibly be the angels that have been confined to Tartarus. And I think that perhaps Peter's talking about this time because he takes us back to Genesis and we'll talk about Noah and the flood. So go, if you go to Genesis chapter 6... <coughs> Genesis chapter 6, and we read there that... Um, uh, now, it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. There's a sense, well, not a sense, there is uh, various different um, commentators will say different things about these verses. Um, 
But I think because Peter is using this example and he's going to go on to talk about Noah, I think he's going back to Genesis 6 and he's saying these sons of God were fallen angels who liaised with the daughters of men and uh, God judged them um, and penned them in these pits of darkness. Um, I wouldn't die for that. You know, that's, that's an interesting thing for me, but it Maybe doesn't matter. Yes. 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 I think so. Yeah. But you, you read some commentators, and they say no, they're, no. they're from you know the line of Cain, and then the the line of Seth, and yeah. So, but I, I mean, I think for me, the clincher is Peter, where he talks about yeah. it. For me, it's just like okay. So, um, God decided He wouldn't strive with man because the thoughts and the intentions of their heart were on evil and wickedness all the time. So how long did he wait? Peter will go on in verse 5 to talk about um, him waiting. And if he didn't spare the ancient world but preserve Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So how long did, um, we've just read it in Genesis 6, how long did God wait before he sent the flood? 120 years, 120 years. That's how long it took Noah to build the ark, 120 wow. years. Well, when you think about it, it was him and his three sons, and they were building an ark according to the specifications given by God. And they had never seen water at that time. They had never seen the sea. There hadn't been rain. Um, almost certainly there'd been no rain on the earth. And so uh, Noah is building an ark ready for a judgment that he's never seen. And that he, so he's just believing God about that judgment. Um, what do you think was happening with the people around him? Exactly. People were having a good laugh, almost certainly. Almost certainly. Yeah, how, was, how is he described in uh, Second Peter? And in Hebrews, actually, when he's a preacher of righteousness. So, whilst Noah is building his ark, that no one has any clue about, you know, what is it for, Noah is preaching righteousness. When it says he's preaching righteousness, what do you think he's preaching? He's preaching, get on the ark, there's judgment coming. Get on the ark, there's judgment coming. And we'll. Absolutely. I think God closed the door. So Noah and his family got on, all the animals, God brought all the animals, they all got on. Why is Noah preaching righteousness if no one was going to be allowed to get on? So I think that anyone who wanted to could get on, because I think, we probably all think, that the ark is a picture of Christ. Yes. So, if he's a picture of Christ, and if the gospel is being preached, get on the ark, judgment is coming, then we have to assume that anyone could have got on. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, did anyone believe it? Nobody believed Jesus, um, Noah's message. Um, and Jesus says in Luke 17 that they were doing ordinary things right up until the day that the judgment came. They were marrying, giving in marriage. They were working. They were having parties. They were doing everything that they ordinarily did. Um, I'm sure there were plenty of experts who, who laughed at Noah. What? You're building an ark? What for? You know, plenty of people talking about judgment. Judgment? What are you talking about? Judgment. You know, exactly. What for? What for? 
Exactly. And that's really what I wanted to think about is when you parallel Noah's world to ours, what do you see? It's the same. Yeah, it's the same. In what way? I mean, specifics, in what way? Yeah, there's a lot of mockery and scorn about the gospel. Yeah. They're godless. And God looking down and seeing that the thoughts and intentions of man's heart are on wickedness constantly, and he sees their evil increasing. You have to say that that's what we see in our world today. Not that it's never been, I mean, it's always been wicked and evil, but certainly you see a, an escalation, don't you? A sort of rapidity coming to this wickedness and, and evil. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Well, Satan's become very effective with that, in, in, and especially in the church. Um, what you do see now is the population multiplying, <coughs> and that's what it was like in when men began to multiply on the face of the land. Then God saw the thoughts and their intentions. We are seeing a, a population explosion, not necessarily in our part of the world, but in the rest of the world. Um, there is an explosion in population. There's a lawlessness, um, crime, increasing, increasing, increasing. And what would you say about true believers? If you had Noah as an example, and his sons and their wives, what would you say about true believers? They're mocked and they are in a minority <laughs> in comparison with everything else. That's true in our day too. True believers are in, yeah, and persecuted, are in the minority. But what happened? What did happen, actually, in Genesis 7 and 8? And they all were judged. They were taken away in judgment. They were all swept away in judgment. God said he would judge. He had someone announcing that judgment. He was, had someone preaching righteousness, i.e. preaching the way to avoid judgment, to come through judgment, and then he judged. So now today, today, what's happening today? Same thing. What, what, I mean, what, what's the church supposed to be doing? Yeah, but we're supposed to be announcing judgment. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Peter w would say, if, if it's time for judgment to begin in the household of God, and if it's difficult for a righteous man to be saved, how much more difficult for those who don't know the Lord Jesus. So judgment is coming, judgment is coming. How do we know that judgment is coming? Yeah. 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 Some of them do. Some of them do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. We need to be diligent. Absolutely. It's so easy to try be a little bit soft. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. The thing about judgment is think about Noah <coughs> and what he knew. He knew, he totally believed that God would do what he would said what he had said he would do and he had 120 years to talk about that. 
And he preached righteousness in the face of all of this opposition and ridicule and everything else. And you know it must have been terrible because no one else got on the ark. So you can imagine what it was like. Uh, But he kept on. He kept on it. He didn't change. Hebrews and uh, Peter write about him as a preacher of righteousness, a man of righteousness. And God says, doesn't he, in in Genesis, that uh, it says Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. And so... There is this sense that we know judgment is coming because God has said so. He said, Jesus said, I came to save the world, but he will be judging the world. Mm. And he's coming back. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They still didn't get on. Exactly. No, they just came. Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) It's amazing, isn't it? It is really amazing. Yeah. Well, God brought the animals, so I bet he gave man choice. Yeah, now that's the problem. That's the thing, yeah. (laughs) So, okay, the flood came and the entire population at that time was swept away in judgment. And that's what will happen when, um, before, well, yeah, before the return of Christ to the planet. That's what will happen. He goes on in, in 2 Peter to Sodom and Gomorrah. What does he talk about with Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous law oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day by day, day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the, uh, the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. So Sodom and Gomorrah, what was their particular um, problem, issue? Yeah, they are, um, yeah, unlawful sex, unlawful sex, homosexuality. Um, and um, uh, Peter's talking about them. Um, you read about God's opinion of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 13 and then in Genesis 18 and 19 when he comes, God comes as uh, first as an angel with two other angels and or Abraham sees him as an angel and then uh, God stays on and has a conversation with Abraham about the wickedness that he sees in Sodom. I find the, the verses about um, Lot very difficult to understand. Yeah, very difficult to understand. Yeah, he offered his daughters. No, (laughs) no, no. Well, he was drunk, but his daughters had sex with him. Well, while he was asleep, I think he was asleep. But he did plant the vineyard, so, um, you know. (laughs) I'm not going down that road. (laughs) That's a step too far, even for me. (laughs) No. But it does say that he planted a vineyard and got drunk and then his daughters came and while he was sleeping, they had sex with him. So I think we have to let him off that. So I'm not sure he was responsible for that. To offer his daughters. Very. He wanted the, the guests to yeah. Angels, and he said, no, take my, take my yeah. yeah. 
I know, it was vile. And I think that what we I think actually that this direct contrast with Noah and Lot, there's a lot in there that we a lot a lot in there about Lot. Um, but first of all, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was um, uh, filthy deeds in terms of sexual immorality, and it was contrary to the created order. There is no doubt in scripture, Lot, remember, there was no Mosaic law. There wasn't the law when Lot went to Sodom. So you can't say that um, the law says homosexuality is a sin, which it does in Leviticus, but that was only for the Jews, or that was only for Israel. It was only the Mosaic law that God gave to that nation, which is one of the reasons people say that, you know, and they didn't know much then, so... You know, this is a sin against the created order. Romans chapter 1, Paul will say that they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And God gave them over to um, unnatural relations, men with men and women with women. So um, what they were doing was, um, in God's eyes, um, sin. It was specific sin and immorality, and he was going to judge it because of that sin. He was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah because of that sin. Um, what happened when he told Abraham that he was going to do that in Genesis 18 and 19? Can you remember? Abraham prayed. He said, if you find 50 righteous men, will you save them? And he kept going down and down, yeah, until God you know, said that he would. So I think one of the reasons that Lot was saved is that Abraham prayed for him. Yes. I think that's one reason that Abraham prayed for him and God answered Abraham's prayer because Abraham was a friend of God. So I think there's that. Um, I think up to the very last moment that Lot left the city, people like in Noah's day were confident that nothing was going to happen. No one had any idea. Lot's family didn't listen to him. When you think, he sounds like he had sons and son-in-laws and no, none of the sons or son-in-laws came out with him. Only his wife and his two daughters. So I think it does say actually that they laughed at him in Genesis when he tried to tell them that judgment was coming. Um, and so... Uh, God judged. He said he was going to judge, and he did judge. And, um, and as I say, I think Lot was saved because he was a believer, even though he was not living a pure and holy life. Um, yeah. Well, I think God says that He put the knowledge of Himself inside everybody, in, in probably, and that probably means our conscience or something like. So there's there's an inner knowledge of what is right and wrong. I agree that that can be changed and massaged and moved by culture, and that sounds like this that had happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. But that, nonetheless, there is that inner knowledge, and there's also the external evidence in creation that God exists. And, and God holds them accountable to that. I dare say they did have prophets going there saying what they were doing was wrong. And if Lot really was a preacher of righteousness again, then he was at some stage telling them about God. Um, so 
I think God judged that sin because they knew what they were doing. They knew it was wicked, even though they may not have had a specific written law to say. No. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so I think um, God delivered Noah because of his righteousness. I think he found favor in the sight of, of God. That's what Genesis says. And I think he delivered Lot because Abraham prayed for him and because Lot was actually a believer. But even though he didn't do everything right, praise God for that, that he saved Lot. Because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff we don't do right. And um, so... Um, why is Peter using these examples? What, what's he trying to tell us and tell his readers? Yes. 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 Think about it in terms of false teachers in the church. So think about this idea that um, there are false teachers maligning the way of God and causing people to malign God's way. They are, um, Jude will say, turning the grace of God into licentiousness. So um, they are doing what Paul said, shall we sin even more because of grace? May it never be, Paul says, but they are saying, well, if we're saved by grace and if it's all about grace and all about God's love, I surely can do anything I want because then God's got more opportunity to show his grace to me. So, um, so what's Peter trying to get us, get them to understand? Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And no matter how successful people may look who are teaching um, unrighteousness and teaching heresy. Judgment is coming. So, um, and, and, and these false teachers are making false disciples. That's the thing. Because if they're teaching heresy and peop people are believing heresy, they're not believing the true gospel. Therefore, they are fake believers, false believers. They may not realize it, but they are. And so, um, what... What would be our role in all of that? Not w what is it? Why, why are we even looking at this? Why are we bothered about it? Because we're all right, Jack. I mean, we're sitting here. We're studying the word. We know we're not headed for judgment. Yeah, we're trying to do, as Jude says, snatch them from the fire. And you can't snatch someone from the fire if you don't know the fire's burning and you don't know where they are. You can't do that. So... It's imperative that we understand false teachers exist in the church and that we can tell the difference between a false teacher and a real teacher. And there's so many places where Paul particularly describes the character of a true teacher of the law um, or of the word of God. Uh, false teachers, I think you need to be wary of false teachers because they know that they're false teachers and it would be quite difficult to confront them. Mostly, and we're talking about, remember, I, d I don't think we're talking about your average pastor or I, I think we're talking about big names on big yeah. stages yes. that people have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people following them. So it wouldn't probably be ever that you and I are ever going to confront them. But I think our role in it is to live the truth, to speak the truth and live the truth. And to try to build up the church, you know, the individual believers as much as we can so that people know there's a choice here. This is not true. This is, you know. Yeah. 
I mean, what's, judgment is coming to people who have believed a false gospel. It's coming. They, are, they will not be saved. They won't be saved. This is the bottom line. If they have fallen for a fake gospel from a fake teacher, they have believed a lie and therefore they are not saved. This is not kind of, oh, well, they went the wrong way. This is, they're going to head for hell. They're going to end up in judgment. So it's really imperative that we can spot them in our congregations, that we can see someone who doesn't believe the true gospel. And not so that we can come at them with, well, you need to believe what I believe, but so that we can come at them you know, with the truth. The truth is that Jesus changes us. The truth is that he is God, that he is and was and will ever be God. And at no time was he not God. Do you know what I mean? These are the truths of our faith. And we have to know them and teach them and speak them out. Um, what's the contrast between a true child of God and the false teachers? I mean, he says here um, that... Uh, uh, their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. What do we know we have coming to us? Or what we already have, actually. First Peter chapter 1 tells us, what do we have? Assurance. Yeah, we have assurance. Yeah. Those, those verses in First Peter chapter 1, they might be some of my favourite verses in the whole Bible, where Peter says we're blessed um, and yeah, that... Uh, that's in, in that's Paul, but I can't remember the exact word. First Peter chapter one, he says, "Yeah, yeah." No, so that's right in the beginning of this one. But in chapter in First Peter, First Peter chapter one, he says, um, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away." So we have an inheritance that is undefiled and imperishable. We, we had Jesus telling his disciples in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back so that I take you to be where I am. We have a place that Jesus Christ has prepared for us and he will come back and take us to. And we are not going to face judgment. John chapter 5, yeah, it's wonderful. John chapter 5, Jesus tells us when we believe in him, we pass through judgment into life. He says, he who has believed in me has been judged already and has passed through judgment into life. Um, and in First Thessalonians, Paul will say, we are looking to the coming of Jesus Christ because, and, and God who will save us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 um, or verse 9. For they themselves report about us, what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Um, lots of different opinions about that. I personally believe that we will not go through the tribulation, but again, I wouldn't die for that. I hope I'm right. Um, but, and I think I'm right, but, but I don't know. But certainly there's this sense that we will not face judgment. We have passed through judgment into life. Um, that's not true for the false teachers and for their converts. Um, and, and Peter uses Noah and Lot and the angels as his, um, 
as his examples and also to remind us that, that Christ is coming back. His whole point he's going to lead into the next chapter is Christ is coming back. He's coming back. And the Lord is not slow about his promise. But he just wants everyone to come to repentance. So don't think that the delay means he's not coming. The delay just means that there's more opportunity for grace to prevail and that we are to be speaking about grace and reminding people. Um, Yeah, so um, people in Sodom were enjoying their regular pleasures. The people on this earth today are enjoying their regular pleasures, definitely in the West, um, and are not aware that judgment is coming. If the church doesn't talk about the second coming of Christ, if the church doesn't talk about judgment, if the church does not warn that unbelievers will face eternal judgment, then no one is going to. So we don't necessarily have to be going out talking about it all the time, but we do have to be aware that that's what's coming. Um, And and coming soon. I still can't quite get there. Let's say you're a born-again Christian. Mm then gets mixed up with this new apostolic right yeah 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 what happens to them well i think they're lot i think that's the example of lot they believe they've gone completely off the rails offering whatever to it whatever but they have believed there is the God has credited them with righteousness. And so, I mean, there are many baby Christians, carnal Christians in the church. There are many, many, many. I'm in the church, probably 90% carnal and baby Christians. Yeah, and following after wrong teaching and all sorts of things. I don't think Peter is talking about them. I think that's why he church included lots or God included lots. Because you, you have to look at Lot's life in Genesis and say, you know, this, this, there's something wrong with this guy. He moved his tents to Sodom. He knew what it was like and he moved right inside. And he was actually sitting at the gates with the elders of the city. So he knew exactly what was going on. Um, but I, I do think he's the example of someone, A, that Abraham prayed for and B, who was a believer but had gone wrong. Um, I think Noah, conversely, is the example of a believer who was a believer and who lived a straight life. And um, yeah, um, but I do think that there are many false teachers in our world, and especially in the Western Church. Many, many, many false teachers on the big stage. Mm? Yeah, very, because they're very charismatic, and and Satan's very clever, and he uses yeah. I think, I, I, you know, I feel actually quite sorry for the leaders of the church, to be honest, John, because I think probably the hardest job in the world is to be a pastor or a pastor's wife. Maybe that's harder. I don't know. I know, Archbishop of Canterbury. But, you know, think about him, okay? He's an ordinary man trying to, to lead a national church. With co- and, and actually an international church, isn't it? The Anglican church worldwide. And so he's got all sorts of different uh, people coming with their different opinions and he's trying to plot his course through it. I think he, I, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with what he does, but I think it's a very hard job. And so I think he is a believer in the Lord Jesus. So I think if he makes some mistakes, that's natural. We all make mistakes. I think our job really is to pray for him and to 
really do our best in our smaller areas to live the life we want him to live and to make the decisions we want him to make. I think the big problem with our church is that we haven't separated ourselves from the world. We have allowed the world into our church and taken on some of its practices and um, and you know for some reason we think that separation is wrong you know that we shouldn't be separate we should be just in there mixing and uh, and and of course we need to live in the world but we still need to live a separated life because we are separated people and God has separated us hasn't he that's what sanctified means it means separated for holiness and and if we're constantly <laughs> going the other way we're not doing um Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, the world's full of Im- immorality. We c- I, I'm not sure that we can ever change that. Because the world's going to get darker and darker, isn't it? That's what the Bible teaches. But certainly, um, I think we looked it up, it's Proverbs 14. Um, a different proverb, actually. So strange that we had that other one, Anne, that you, you remembered. Uh, I think it's Proverbs 14. And it was about... Um, that the believers will shine ever more brightly in the darkness. And although it was in Proverbs, it's... Um, um, now, I'm not going to find it now. Um, I thought it was Proverbs 14. Well, yeah. Oh, yes, there is. That's right. That's the one I was thinking about, actually. But I found it. Thank you. Yes. I, um, yes. And I talked about that. And then someone found Proverbs, and I thought it was 14. But now, thank you, because we can go to that time. Yeah. Many of those, um, where are we? Those who have insight, Daniel chapter 12, verse 31. Those who have insight, sorry, verse 3. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And then in Proverbs it says that the righteous uh, shine ever more brightly or, or the way of the righteous shines more brightly and even more as the day draws near, as they see the day drawing near or as the day draws near. So I think that that's what Peter's calling us to. He's calling us to be separate from the world and to live separated lives, but at the same time to be, you know, to be active in our churches, in our congregations, helping people to see and snatching them. You said that, Angela, yeah. didn't you? Snatching them from the fire. But Daniel is, is, is someone that lived in the midst of a really corrupt Yes, place. he, he did. No. Life, and he stood mm. up. Mm. Mm. And, um, mm. Definitely. So, I mean, if you look how he did it, he, he, he always acknowledged God mm. and he always followed mm. God's ruling. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's a scripture in Philippians as well. What, what does that say? So, Philippians 2, right. verse 15, uh, yeah, 14, do anything without complaining or arguing. Oh, yeah. Mm. So that you may become blameless and pure, yeah. children of God without fault. In mm. a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Toby. Yeah, I must have had a concoction of all of those three or four things in my head this morning. No wonder I couldn't find it. Um, yeah, so um, fairly straightforward, actually, when you go through it. Fairly straightforward to see. Peter is saying false teachers are not saved. 
Um, we'll probably look at that a little bit more next week. They're not saved, or the week after. They're not saved. They're headed for judgment. The people who follow them are being, are being led into judgment. Um, and that it's our job to understand the truth and to stand for the truth. Um, so Peter's saying the same thing that everything else in the Bible says. Everything else, I mean, it's just repeating the same thing, using different examples and different words, but he's saying the same thing. The people of God are to be separated unto God, and, um, and we do have a responsibility, one to another, <coughs> to, um, to help people, uh, to help our brothers and sisters in Christ, because judgment is coming. And um, what is it John will say? You don't want to be one of those who shrinks back at his coming. So, Father, thank you for Peter's letter. Thank you that, um, well, we could spend so long in parts of it, Lord. There's so much to learn and so much to learn about Noah and about Lot and just about everyone, Lord. And thank you that you are showing us the truth that um, you, you say judgment is coming so we can know it is coming and you're giving us that warning so that we can be about your business and that is preaching the gospel to those people who don't know Jesus and helping our brothers and sisters in Christ to walk the straight and holy path to, to be separated for you and to understand that that's where the joy is and the peace and the power and all the blessing is on that highway of holiness, on that road that you have mapped out for us and, and I pray that you would give us understanding, Lord God, and that we would really hold on to it and not be, not be moved backwards and forwards, tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, but that we will stand firm and know the truth and be made free by that truth, Lord God. And I thank you that you have enabled that, that every person in this room has decided that, that we want to know you by, through your word, by your spirit, and that you will make good on that desire, you will fulfill that desire and you will bring us into a deeper and deeper knowledge of you and we will in that way become even more partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. And I thank you, Lord, that you have done it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. 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 Praise God. Oh.